Good morning, Faith Church, and welcome people who are visiting. This morning, uh, I've got the challenge of introducing a new series on unfiltered, sharing the message of the gospel um, and the authentic truth of the gospel. Um, today, I want to challenge you to tell a better story. Tell a better story. I believe that there are counter-narratives that are vying for our hope and for our belief. Stories of freedom, purpose, and ultimate happiness. And the challenge for Faith Church and for the Church of Jesus today is that we can tell a story that's authentic and true and ultimately one that people know is better. We need to carry out Jesus' final command to tell the gospel, but in order to do this, we have to make it clear that this is not just another story, but a better story. Um, I wasn't around for this, so, uh, and I, I imagine if you're my age or younger in the room, you really didn't experience this phenomenon, but there was this thing that took over the world. Um, it was a Walkman, all right? I, I was like alive at that time. It just didn't really uh, hit for me. I was born in 93, so, you know, it was there. And we used cassettes and that kind of thing, but ultimately, Whenever I was coming of age and like wanted to listen to my own music, I got an iPod Shuffle with 512 megabytes, and that's what I put my stuff on. Um, but this took over the world. It totally changed the way that people like uh, enjoyed music. Uh, it used to be this communal activity, uh, very much uh, something that you did with other people. And the Walkman changed all of that to where you could listen to music as you were working out, or going for a run, or just commuting or whatever, or in your room, and you didn't want your parents to hear your music. Like you, all of that was possible with the Walkman, right? Um, today, we, we don't really need a Walkman, do we? Uh, no one, I, I've never seen anyone walking around with these. Even at a time whenever some people want to be countercultural and use the throwback stuff, like, uh, people use their iPhone, right? Because it does that and a million other things. And with a, for the low cost of like, $8 a month, you can access all the music that has ever been produced, almost, right? That's, I mean, it's incredible. To try to convince someone that this is better would be crazy. And for a lot of people that we run into, for, for our friends and our neighbors outside of the church, sometimes it can seem like whenever we're offering this story of hope and redemption in Jesus, it can almost seem like we're offering them a Walkman. Hey guys, here you go. Like, this is really great. You're going to love this. And they're like, uh, I've got a better way of doing that. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but it's an iPhone. All right? Well, what they're, what they're seeing is that um, this, this is a way that people used to enjoy music. But today, there's a much better way. And for many people outside the church, the gospel was a way that people found meaning and purpose. But now you can really accomplish that better by having a good time with some friends on Saturday night, going out for brunch on Sunday morning, going to a concert, um, seeing your favorite band or several mediocre bands for the same price or whatever, um, putting all your hope into like that next vacation. So even though life is really bad for like these this period of time where I've got to work and go to work week in and week out, I do know that at the end of this comes a two-week vacation 
the Bahamas, and man, things are gonna be good then. And there's this story, a narrative of ultimate happiness, of freedom, of purpose. Like maybe you don't have freedom in your regular job, but you do have freedom there at the vacation. And we can maybe here in the Midwest, uh, sprinkle in some prayer into that, right? Because in the midst of those trying times at your job, um, you can at least cry out to Jesus whenever you don't know what to do or life hits you hard, there's suffering, there's pain, there are questions that are unanswered. But ultimately, life already has, you already have the answers to life, maybe with some prayer sprinkled in. Um, the challenge for Faith Church today is to be able to tell a story that is authentic and true and ultimately better. We need to carry out Jesus's final command in a way that people can hear and can recognize that the story is better. We know that Jesus is not a Walkman in the age of the iPhone, an outdated way to experience the good life, but that Jesus is the, the answer to the longings underneath the desire for new technology, for new music, for new movies, for new series, for news, for sex, that what people use technology to fill temporarily is simply scratching the surface of a deeper longing. That truly, as Psalm 42 says, that deep cries out to deep. That our biggest longings can only find fulfillment in God. So how do we share this good news? How do we tell a story that's better than the one that they know? We believe that the gospel is better, hopefully. We believe that it is a better story, but how do we make that clear? I think part of the answers comes in, and I won't have you turn here, I'm just going to go over this. We'll spend a lot more time in Genesis 1. But in, in Colossians 4, 3 through 6, Paul gives some instructions to the church at Colossae, and, he's, and he says this. He says, pray that God would open for us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am, I am also in chains, that I might make manifest as I ought to speak. Walk, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each one. In this passage, I think we have a little bit of insight into how we should participate in evangelism today. Paul is talking about speaking a message, which has been the emphasis for a long time, and should continue to stay the emphasis. The gospel is necessarily connected to our words. We, we need to speak the unfiltered message of the gospel because that is the ultimate goal. But the way that the message is presented is also not by mere proclamation. If that's what it was about, then we would do well to go to the mall and stand there and maybe like set up a post there at the mall on the, on the corner and just have a bullhorn. And here we are reading like a catechism or something. And like, here are the truths of the Bible, Apostles' Creed, everybody needs to listen and believe. And that's, it's just not going to work, is it? Because it's not just about the proclamation of truth. There's something that has to take place before they can understand truth. They need to know that uh, Christianity is not simply uh, a message. See, there used to be this process in evangelism that, and, and I'm borrowing this from a writer called, his name is Sam Chan, and he wrote a book about how to talk about Jesus. And he says that we used to have this message of believe, behave, and then belong. All right, so what this looked like is you've got somebody at a, who goes to a Billy Graham revival. They hear the gospel preached in about 20 minutes. There's a response time. 
They're, just as I am is playing, and they go down and they repent, and then they begin to change their life, repent of the way that they used to live, and then they would belong in a church, right? And this was really the process that maybe many of us in this room experienced, and this is, this is what we've known for quite a while, but there's actually this shift going on in our culture to where this is not, no longer the process by which people come to know the gospel, all right? It's actually flipped, according to Sam Chan. Show that second slide. Now, before someone can hear the gospel and believe, there has to be a sense of belonging. They have to know that this, this actually works, that people are, who have been affected by the gospel are living a life that shows the genuine love that we've talked about in previous weeks. And really, without that, if you're just like going to church on Sundays, dressing up, and like you've got this different thing that you do on Sunday, but your life looks no different during the week, and then you tell them the truth of the gospel, there's really, they're never going to get there. Because before they can ever get there, there's got to be a sense of belonging. There's got to be a sense of understanding and experiencing the love of Christ before they can hear about the love of Christ. And what this really is a challenge to do is to walk the walk before we talk the talk, Right? Um, and you can put that slide down at this time. We need people to first belong, and then they're, they're going to live life alongside us as our friends, and then they can finally actually hear the gospel, right? They can hear the truth. They don't simply need to be told that Jesus died for our sins. They need to know you. They need to know your spouse. They need to know your Christian friends, and they need to experience the genuine love of Jesus. They need to see the church walk the walk before we talk the talk. They need to see what unfiltered Christianity looks like. Not the dressed up perfect family that, that comes in on Sunday morning after dealing with a fight on the way to church because the trash didn't get taken out or someone was running late on the way out the door, taking too long in the bathroom, and you're covering it all up and pretending like, oh, things are great. Like, look at us. We're dressed up and we're at church. We're perfect families. That is not going to do the job today. People need to, to know us. They need to know us in the same way that Jesus, uh, whenever he talked to Zacchaeus, who's a tax collector, someone very separate from him, he didn't simply tell him a message, right? But what did he say? He said, I'm going to go to your house today. I'm going to eat a meal with you. And as he did that, then Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was able to hear that message, and he was able to believe. And if you look for this pattern in the Bible, you're going to see it all over. Like, Jesus was known for eating with people who were far from God, right? So much so that he was called a glutton and a drunkard. Why are you hanging out with prostitutes and sinners and, and tax collectors? This does not make any sense. Jesus, what are you doing? He spent time with people so that they could hear the gospel. When our friends experience a sense of Jesus' love, whenever you do ordinary life with them, the message of salvation will land in soil that's tilled, fertilized, prepared for good news. Proclaiming the good news apart from this would be similar to scattering the seed on this floor, right? That's, they don't just need the truth, they need to know that they belong that the, the love of God is real. So the first part is telling a better story, uh, of, of telling a better story, is to recognize that the good news doesn't actually seem that good 
to people outside the church, right? It can seem like trying to sell Walkmans to people with iPhones. And then the second thing is that in order for anyone to be able to hear the gospel, they actually need to experience the love of Jesus, see us walk the walk before we can talk the talk. But then the last thing is that they need to hear a better story. And they need to hear it in a way that they can understand it. In this series of Unfiltered, we hope to make this clear and to equip every single person to both know the gospel, hear it, maybe if you haven't experienced the gospel, but also to be able to share it using these four words, which capture the storyline of the Bible. The first thing is creation, and then there's fall, redemption, and new creation. All right, so these are four major motions within the Bible and a clear way to share the story of the Bible and this, the good news of Jesus. Today, we're going to start out with the beginning of that story, which is the story of creation. The story uh, at the popular level, what I think, and this does not cover every single person, but what do people outside of the church think of the beginning of the story? Because there is a counter narrative out there. What, are, what do they know? Uh, basically, the story being told is that we know uh, from science and uh, the, how the world has come to be over process of billions of years and natural progression that our lives are really the result of random mutations. That there's not really any purpose or design to human life except for what we give to it. So, that, so then our best, we can live our best lives by being true to ourselves, pursuing happiness um, in the short existence that we have, that chance has afforded us. And this story is not what everybody believes. I would encourage you to, as you consider your, your actual friends and neighbors, not just a generic person, but to actually have conversations, right? And talk to them about values and ethics. Ask why, oh, what do you, you think that? Tell me more. Help me understand what you think. Like I do sincerely want to understand because we're not just proclaiming truth, but we're being, being friends with people, right? So we want to, we want them to know that we care about them and that we care about what they think, but we, we also need to address what they think. Um, say this is a good framework for understanding what people outside the church believe. Our friends need to hear the beautiful story of the gospel beginning with creation in ways that speak to their needs and values. They need to know that the highest values and ethics in this world were, are not what we came up with in order to survive as a species, but instead, uh, they're, they're also not the result of science or philosophy. Our values are the result of a loving and gracious creator who, who designed our world. And as we read this familiar passage, I hope you can see and be equipped to share using the words that our friends and neighbors value. So open your Bible up to the very first page, Genesis 1.1. And we're going to skip just a little bit in here. But Genesis 1.1 should be familiar. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And the story continues telling how all of these things were created, but we want to skip down to verse 25. There it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, 
so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I want you to hear me with this. Uh, our culture, our, the, our friends, our family, our neighbors outside of the church, they value equality. Equality is a high ideal in our world today. And what, is, what are we talking about whenever we talk about equality? We're saying that no one is worth more than anyone else. Regardless of what's in their bank account, regardless of what family they came from, what they've done, there's, they need to know that God created every single person with worth and value. No one with more than another. They need to see what unfiltered Christianity looks like and knowing this word that speaks to their heart language. They need to know that it's not about the color of their skin. They need to know that it's about that this idea of equality is not ground in anything in the world. You, you can't find it under a microscope, but that it's something that God gave, that he designed us to be worth something, to be worthwhile for him, right? He was, we were created in his image. In verse 28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Our friends and neighbors value purpose. And the beauty of creation is that God made us with it. You don't have to come up with it. Man, that's a lot to put on you, right? And, and I'm, I'm telling you that about our friends and our neighbors who don't know the gospel, they, they believe that ultimately purpose and meaning comes from themselves, from what they can discover and come up with on their own. And that's a huge weight to put on anyone. Man, how good would it be to hear that actually you don't have to come up with it. God's designed you with meaning and purpose. Your life has a trajectory that existed before you were ever born. You're a part of a much larger story. Not only that, but we look in verse 29, and it says, And God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. And then skip to 2.8, Genesis 2.8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Our friends and neighbors value beauty, and they value good food. And I value beauty, and I value good food. All right, everybody does. Um, and what they need to see is that beauty and food is a part of God's design for our enjoyment. God is not the cosmic killjoy. He created it. Joy is his design. Pleasure is his design. He could have created a pragmatic world where every tree produced a vitamin that you need and all you needed to do was eat vitamins. And what a drag that would be, right? <laughs> but instead, God created us with taste buds so that we can enjoy the various flavors of food. Like he designed us with that. He didn't even just create us to enjoy food, but he's, it says that the plants were pleasing to the eye, that they were beautiful. Beauty is something that everyone enjoys 
and everyone values, and it's not our design. It's not something we came up with as a value. It's something that God ingrained in the earth for our enjoyment and to point towards him. Beauty is God's design. And they need to know that it comes from him. It's not a utility of survival or the result of random mutations. It's a gift from our gracious creator. God made beautiful sights. God made cow soy from Pangaea. He made delicious food, and he made the taste buds that enjoy them. He made the eye that takes it in. And then in verse 18 of chapter 2, it says, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Our friends and our neighbors, they, they uh, value having strong relationships. They value being known. And they need to know that God identified that need before we ever knew it was a need. He saw Adam having created him and said, you know what? This is the first thing that I've made that's actually not good. It's not complete. Humans need companionship. And he designed us for that, right? He made us necessarily relational. And the reason that we love friends, the reason that we love hanging out with people or being known by just a few, maybe you're more of a, uh, oh man, I can't think of the word. Maybe you, you are not a social butterfly. But you, you do still like to be known even if it's by one person. You, God designed you. He hardwired you for friendship. And this is not something that we've come up with in order to survive. This is God's design. And then lastly, uh, in this passage, and we're, we're going to come down to one more after that that I, I skipped over, but they were both naked. This is verse 25. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Our friends value acceptance and not shaming people, right? And they need to know that God created us to be shameless. Our friends value happiness and satisfaction. God designed us to not experience shame, but to experience happiness and satisfaction in this world. He created us for companionship with others and for companionship with him. He created us with purpose, worth, beauty, enjoyment, happiness, and no shame. This is all a part of God's good world. It's the highest values in our world today, and it's really baseless, right? We, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, we, we have these values and these things that we hold up as uh, the way that the world should be, but really disconnected from this story that we're talking about right now, you're sawing off the branch you're sitting on right? Because the, the thing that holds up the fact that this matters is the fact that God designed it that way. And we have that part of the good news. We know what the tree is. We know where it all comes from. And people need to know that part of the good news. There are a couple verses that I skipped that I really want to focus in on here at the end. This is verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not surely eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
the first thing we need to know, just from the overall story of the, of the Bible. So the story of creation is a story about a God who is in need of nothing and yet creates everything. All of this world bends and forms according to his will at the spoken word. He is unrivaled and his word is effective. He creates everything that there is. There's nothing that exists apart from him. Our friends value power, and that might sound counterintuitive because power is often misused. But I think of a guy like Mr. Beast, if you guys are familiar with Mr. Beast. Uh, so Mr. Beast is highly valued. He has millions and millions of followers today. And the reason is because he's just radically generous. Like he's earned all this money, but then he just gives it away in like kind of crazy ways. Or he uses his influence and his power in order to plant thousands of trees. And it's like things that people are like, that's a really good thing. Like they like Mr. Beast because he has power, but he uses it in a way that's good. And our culture, it, in our culture, it can seem like our friends and neighbors actually don't like people with power, like power is corrupting and that kind of thing. But what they really want is someone who has power, but uses it in the right way, right? And what we have is the story of a God with unlimited power, but who uses it for good. Where people get a disconnect and where our friends and neighbors can disagree with this is whenever they think that there's a God with unlimited power, but a God who is bad, ultimately, right? Like if we had God's power, we would do things differently. And why isn't God doing that? This is a God who's all powerful, and yet he signs off on the drunk driver who kills an innocent child. On a God who allows the fracture of a relationship that wrecks a family. On a God who doesn't allow a woman to get pregnant, or does, but then lets the child die in utero, or in childbirth, or in infancy. No one has a problem with the idea of God. What they have a problem with is the idea of a God who allows things that are bad. The story of creation is a story devoid of suffering, of evil, of shame, of drunk drivers, of women failing to be pregnant, of children who are dying in infancy. Instead, the story of creation is the story of the world as it should be. The world as it was designed. So why then do, we, do our friends sometimes think that God is bad or indifferent or non-existent? The missing part of this story is a story of choice, right? God creates and he is all powerful, he is sovereign, but he also creates choice. He invests his creature with the ability to have causality, to make a choice that's apart from what he necessarily would want. Our friends value freedom, right? And we are Americans, we value freedom. <laughs> freedom is good. Our country values freedom and God gives it. God gives freedom. God makes humans with real freedom to choose, but his freedom is designed within boundaries. That's, that's the design within Genesis. Look at, look at this verse one more time in verse 16 and 17. 
Of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Having created humans to be like him, created in his image, it makes sense, right? Who is the only one who has all the power and choice in the world? It's God. But God creates humans in his image. So it makes sense that humans would be able to make choices, right? God is free to do what he wants, but he actually lets humans follow suit. He makes them with this ability. They don't know good or evil. They only know God and the world as he's designed it. And in that state, no wrong could ensue, but this tree represents a real choice to trust God or to make the decision that maybe God's holding out. Maybe God doesn't actually know what's best for me and there's something more to this life. And God gives the real choice. He gives humans freedom. He gives them the freedom to remain in the good world that he's created, a design free from all the problems that we just talked about. Or he gives them the freedom also to pursue a world outside of his design and to welcome in a complete new idea, right? If a child has no choice but to say sorry, um, then they will do it, but they will not mean it, right? Uh, I recently had a, a student who was being very, like gave a conde condescending presentation towards someone, like gave the presentation and then was like, are you serious, you don't get this, like come on, and like was acting like that as the, the, the child was presenting. So I pulled him in the hallway and I was like, hey, you were being really condescending. And he was like, I don't know what that means. And I was like, well, okay, you are talking down to the people that you're teaching. <laughs> that's, that's not good. Like, you can't talk down to people. Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize I was doing it. And I was like, all right, you're in eighth grade. Like, I'm not gonna force you to say the, say the words, I'm sorry for being, talking down to you, right? That would be pretty meaningless. He would not mean it. But what I said is like, hey, I want you to think about like the way that you made her feel. And I want you to talk to her, pull her aside at some point during passing period, during lunch. And I'd love for you to think about how that hurt her and apologize for it. And ultimately that's his decision. If I forced him into it, it would have happened. Wouldn't it be very meaningful. But if he makes that free choice on his own, recognizes that it's wrong, and then tells her, that's meaningful. That really means something in the world. Or, like, thinking about this idea of freedom, maybe you've, you've had this happen to you. You've watched a story that you know, like Spider-Man. For me, I think of Spider-Man. I think I watched that a million times whenever I was a kid. And I knew every single time that Uncle Ben was going to die, you know? Um, but there's, ah, I didn't want it to happen, you know? Like, you see just how precious Uncle Ben is to Spider-Man, to Peter Parker, and you know how, how close the relationship is, how much he needs his uncle. Like he doesn't have his family, like his, his parents. He needs this relationship. And you just hope, ah, don't, don't walk on that sidewalk. Don't go over there. Like, just go home. <laughs> don't, don't go after him because he's, yeah. So you, you hope that something's gonna unfold in a different way. And it doesn't. Every single time you watch the movie over and over, it's gonna play out the same way, isn't it? The story's already been written. He's not free to choose anything else. Uncle Ben can't do anything other than what he's done. Is this the story of humans? 
Is the story already written and we're simply playing out the parts that God has given us? The story that we look at here in Genesis does not seem to appear that way, right? We believe that God created humans with the ability to choose. Not that he didn't know what would happen. We believe that God has foreknowledge. He knows every single thing that will ever happen in the world. But it doesn't mean that he made it happen. God did not create suffering. God did not create the pain and the heartache that we feel with the things that are wrong in the world. God gave us choice that's not beyond God's rule, it's under God's rule. He gave us the ability to make real choices so that we could experience real freedom, real love, and real joy, and not just play act. We were created with freedom in order to love God, to be known by him, to live without shame, and to live with other image bearers, recognizing that no one is worth more than another, to observe beauty, to eat delicious food, to enjoy relationships and companionship, to be satisfied in God's purpose for our lives. This is the story of creation. It's good news. Sometimes it can feel like our friends and neighbors don't want to hear it because we're offering them a Walkman. That's just an outdated way to get to pleasure and happiness. I know how to do that now. But the reality is we know that this is a better story. This is the thing that they really want to hear. It's a good design. And our friends are desperately in need of the truth that goes beyond our little blip in time. Truth that shows the, that the best parts of our lives the, are just scratching the surface of something that we, we will experience for eternity. Something that says that the way that things are right now is not a part of the design of this world. Our friends need to hear the good news. They need to hear a better story. Can you tell them in a way that they can hear it? Let's pray.